Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Business Excellence Podcast. My name is Rail Bricker, coming to you from Perth, Western Australia. And with me, as usual, my co-host from Brisbane, Australia, Lindsay Adams. Hello and welcome. For a value added extra, excellencepodcast.com has heaps of free resources for you to download. That is excellencepodcast.com. And our special guest today is Samantha Pillay. Uh, Samantha, also known as Sam, is a urological surgeon based in Adelaide. Interesting person. Um, first female to complete urological training in South Australia. She's an author. She's passionate about entrepreneurship. And, uh, yeah, that's enough for the start. Uh, welcome, Sam. Great to have you here with us. Hi. It's fantastic, Raul, Lindsay. Fantastic to be here. Thank you for the invitation. So, Sam, uh, let's start with your medical training. First female to complete urological training in South Australia. What an achievement. Congratulations. Um, I'm guessing there's not too many females in this line of work. Yeah, so we're getting more and more. It's better now. The Classically, because of the predominance of a lot of men's health in that area, um, prostate being the big one probably that springs to mind, it was an area um, where there wasn't a lot of women. And surgery in itself, there was no women. So it, uh, not a lot of women, I should say no. So when I finished my surgical training, only 4% of surgeons in Australia and New Zealand were women. So you can imagine that then within that subgroup to choose something that was a male-dominated specialty and men's health was even less likely. So the... Saying that, though, there's a lot of women. There's a lot of women who have bladder, kidneys and uh, problems as well. So it wasn't uh, purely um, a male specialty from the point of view of the patient. So it was uh, obviously the time when there were just weren't a lot of female surgeons full stop, um, which was why I was the first to do that training in South Australia. But that was a time when a lot of surgical specialties were the women were the first okay um and, and i mean interestingly you, you know like as you said like I, in my mind urology was always you know male like but that's because i'm male i guess but you know and your specialist area obviously and i'm not getting into the medical side of it was incontinence treatments for women which is interesting because just recent the last five years you've actually seen lots of TV adverts and advertising around, you know, incontinence pads or, you know, don't let it uh, affect you. So it's obviously become much more, call it mainstream or acceptable. Yeah, so there's, I think there's two things that you're touching on there. First of all, you know, male doctors don't just need to treat male patients or male problems and female doctors don't just need to treat female patients or female problems. Um, because there's been a lot of men treating women uh, for a very long time in, in the surgical world. Saying that, though, there is probably some uh, uh, comfort that women with incontinence may have uh, by seeing a female surgeon when it involves an intimate examination or that sort of an area. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is the incontinence has been around for a very, very long time. And people have suffered in silence. There hasn't really been a lot 
for people to speak openly about what's an embarrassing condition. Very little, in fact, uh, you, you know, there might be a few jokes uh, made, but not the same acceptance of an embarrassing condition. And there's a lot of work still that needs to be done to break down those barriers and reduce the stigma so people feel comfortable uh, about talking about the problem, acknowledging the problem and having the confidence to go and do something about that. Because we know that uh, more than 60% of people with incontinence never actually seek help. More than 60%. Yeah, so that's right. A lot of people just don't go and do anything about it. They'll modify their lifestyles. They'll restrict what they do. They'll try and hide it. Um, they'll hide the pads that they buy. I have patients that come in for surgery that don't actually tell their partners what they're having done. They don't even want them to know that it's an incontinence operation. They make sure that they hide the pads at home. So even from their direct family members, they feel too embarrassed to acknowledge it. And it's really interesting because we've had a lot of progress over the years with, um, say, mental illness, depression, breast cancer, other areas. And incontinence, I think, it has this embarrassing stigma that we really haven't overcome that well and it, it does hold people back. It impacts on their, you know, work, um, their mental health ability to exercise, what clothes they wear, uh, the travel, what travel they do. It can influence choices they make every day and they then will, you know, suffer, as we say, suffer in silence Um so uh, that's an area that I've always been passionate about and very lucky to work in to be able to contribute to that space and make a difference. So you, you mentioned the word there about passion, okay? So obviously as a medical specialist, you're obviously passionate about your area. But, you know, having spoken to you and having read your blogs and your profiles, you're passionate about lots of other areas, particularly um, you know, entrepreneurship or, or young, you know, let's call it young kids, particularly young girls, encouraging them to be doctors or surgeons and entrepreneurs. And, you know, you've written blogs on women on, on boards and women becoming, you know, doctors, you know, adult, ad, adult blogs. You know, how, how do you manage to fit all these passions and, and where does it go for you? Um, so... From that point of view, yeah, if sleep um, gets put last, <laughs> I'm an early riser and I can get a lot of work done before 8 o'clock in the morning. The I am passionate and so my mind is just always going. I'm always jotting notes, uh, whether it be electronically or pen and paper, and I always have a lot of projects on the go. Um, I kind of realised that probably being a surgeon was just never going to be enough. Um, and rightly or wrongly, I went into starting my own practice in 2002 at a very young age. I was very naive and loved the idea of starting a business. And, uh, you know, I relate it to, you know, wanting to have kids. It seems very, very exciting but when you realise just how much work it is. Um, so I started off running a business and I have loved running a business. I've loved my medical side. I love patients um but i also love the business side and the challenge uh next year will be 20 years uh, running a surgical practice which i started from literally the back of the you know the laptop in the back of the car with hard disks and then floppy disks 
um, where I was going in on the weekend and doing things to building a business just like any solo uh, bootstrapping <laughs> mumpreneur. Uh, so the I'm passionate about business and I think coming back to what you're saying is I've had this belief that if I can do it, you can do it too. That's probably, you know, one message I'd have for people uh, because it doesn't really take any, you know, a talent. No one's any better than anyone else. It's just about how hard you work and how well you are at solving problems and learning by your mistakes. And, you know, I'm really good at, at learning by my mistakes. And if I don't learn the first time I make the mistake, sooner or later, if I keep making the same mistake, I'll get it right. So I love business. I find business really exciting. So let me ask you, let me follow on from that. And I don't want you to annoy a lot of your medical colleagues, but but how many of them would you say actually see their practice as a business or do they just see it as their practice? I know that's a, you know, a number of surgeons I know just see their practice as their practice. They don't actually see it from a business perspective. You know, do you think your approach is different? Possibly. And part of that, the, the crux behind that is the same for everything in life, whether it was my, I don't play golf, but that's just a surgeon thing, you know, whether it was whatever it is, your golf or whatever. Because I'm passionate about it, right? So if people just have a business because they have to have a business because they want a practice and they're not actually passionate about business, they might have a structure that's pretty routine. They don't necessarily have a lot of variety. They don't necessarily have great aspirations. Um, and they're very, very happy to have maybe a practice manager um, who's a receptionist and not really run it as a business and it chugs over. And the key is the passion and the interest, just like anything else. So because I'm interested, you know, I'm interested in procedures, I'm interested in processes, I'm interested in technology and advancements and automation and the practice, anyone who runs a business and is passionate about business realises that the change is so rapid that you never keep up with it. It's not like you do this and you get everything sorted or it's not like you fix all the mistakes. You know, I go into work and say, okay, hit me with it. What's today's problem or disaster or problem to fix, you know? And with entrepreneurship, I've got all these things I love. And one of the things is, you know, it's like jumping off a cliff and assembling the plane on the way down. Um, and so if you're passionate about business and you it evolves through that passion in my um, way and that, that, that brings with it some creativity. You know, people that are um, entrepreneurs have an element of creative creativity because it becomes around original ideas to solve existing problems. So you've obviously got a lot of ideas. You're an author. You've written uh, three books that I'm aware of, the first of which is the, the No Recipe Cookbook for people who aren't really good at cooking. Um, that, that sounds interesting. But you've written a couple of kids' books, and I really just want to focus in on this because I love this concept and I've, I've had a read of them, and I think there's some really great messages there. So the first one was When I'm a Surgeon, and the latest is when I'm an entrepreneur. So talk to us about the concept behind the books. What, what's the message? What are you trying to achieve here? So there's a lot of research that shows that self-efficacy and the self-belief forms in early childhood starting at the age of three. In, as well as at that time, uh, children start to form career gender stereotypes that can be almost set in place by the age of seven. 
And we have this idea that then, you know, in year 11, you can suddenly give people, give, you know, teenagers uh, career guidance when you and expect them in you know, 12 months to make a decision when they've had not enough prep work. It's probably one way to put it. So I think that there's a lot that can be done early on in children to just introduce them to that world and break down uh, career stereotypes, gender stereotypes, and also explore their thinking. You know, there's a lot more jobs and opportunities out there now than when I finished school in 85 as far as choices of what you can do as a career. So for children, self-belief, I think, is the fundamental basis. The self-belief is what will result in being able to turn that passion, whatever it is, whatever it is, into successful career. That self-belief is the number one important foundation. And to try and, you know, I have my big audacious goals to basically change the way that children believe in themselves. And so if children really believe in themselves, um, there's a lot then if they're more likely to be able to change their destiny, especially if they have not been dealt a good deck of uh, a good hand and have to overcome barriers. But there's great work that's done to assist and help those in need. Anything that can empower them to also have a vision and belief that they can do something themselves will create a lot of power. So that instilling in them that self-belief that they can achieve greatness to overcome the barriers, the setbacks, the naysayers and any other um, uh, adversity that affects them is the really important things because you really want everyone to have perfect situation and the reality is that not everyone does and not everyone gets a fair deal in life um, and life isn't fair. So that's the passion behind books. If the children can read about when I'm a surgeon, imagine that they're a surgeon, believe that they can be a surgeon. They don't need to be a surgeon. They just need to believe that they could be if they wanted to. That will carry over to them no matter what they want to be. And that's the same, that's why I decided I wanted to embark upon this book series. Um, so obviously it's all mixed up, uh, you know, in the in health as well. I have this idea that I really want to help people change the way they think about their health and make lifestyle changes. And so the analogy is. As a doctor, I spend my life trying to help people fix their problems. But there is 80% of disease, chronic disease is preventable. So all the lifestyle factors, whether it be your diabetes, smoking, your diet, health, exercise, obesity, I can't do anything about that. No one can do anything about that other than the individual. Empowering what I can do as a surgeon to help someone who's got a problem pales into insignificance compared to what they can do to help themselves. A lot of people know what's done, but trying to find that key to give them the power, the strength to be able to make those changes is similar 
in adults believing in themselves. Part of it comes in believing in themselves. And I believe in adults. I believe in children. And I want everyone out there to believe in themselves as much as I believe in them. So, so if I was to, to go back to that classical philosophical argument of nature versus nurture, you'd be very much on the nurture side because those on the nature side have already got that self-belief. So, so, so you know, it, and, and it was interesting when you started out because you spoke about those that were dealt, you know, the, the uh, not such a great hand to start with and they need to create that, that self-belief and self-motivation. Let me, let me extend that to young girls, and I've been on the board of a private school for 20 years that's encouraged STEM. Um, as subject choices across the board for both genders. Um, you know, is there still a massive problem with girls going into STEM subjects and therefore potentially into medicine and other sciences? I, I, I mean, I obviously don't work specifically in that space in the education department, so there may be someone who's working specifically has an opinion. We all know that, though, that the figures show that there's less enthusiasm in for girls to choose those subjects and when it comes to career stereotypes career stereotypes tend to not be you know they there's things that are seen as male um career stereotypes and female career stereotypes there's no difference of it and most people would see this in the skills or the abilities so the what's behind that is what society and therefore that then goes to the individual defines a woman as. So once society, once you change what society define a woman as, then those things aren't issues as far as is that a male or a female type career because if you have a, a, you know, vision of what a woman should be that doesn't fit with that. It's not the ways to change society's expectations of what a woman is and what a woman can do and what a woman can do successfully and still be a woman, still be feminine, still have a family, still do other things. So um, creating those role models and mentors of women who are successful in those areas and are able to do it with their own in their own woman way alters society's understanding or perceptions or definition of what a woman is i love it uh, and sadly i think we could talk about this for a lot longer but we are out of time so uh, sam thanks so much for joining us today if our listeners wanted to get in touch with you and perhaps purchase a, a copy of your book for their kids uh, or their grandkids uh, or, or talk to you about entrepreneurship, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? So probably the easiest way is through my website, which is just my name, samanthapillay.com. Uh, the book's available through Amazon and most other online retailers. Uh, and there's also links through my website for all my social media. Thank you very much, Sam. Thank you to my co-host, Lindsay Adams. This is Rail Bricker signing off for another edition of the Business Excellence Podcast with a reminder to pop along to excellencepodcast.com 
where you can download a number of free resources to help you on your journey to excellence in both business and in life.